one thing we when we read when we read the gospels when we read scripture we see that that we are called uh, to engage uh, our culture we're called to engage people around us in fact as you read the gospels and see Jesus life uh, w- one of the things that you see often is him engaging people we talked about that last week uh, from Mark chapter one when he uh, had the the leper fell at his feet and uh, Jesus could have ignored him. Jesus could have rebuked him. He could have gone a, a number of different directions, but instead he chose to uh, engage him. And when we engage, then we're also we're, we're also to have impact. When we uh, when we reach out and touch people, when we reach out to engage and and go where they are, then that's going to create an impact. We saw that in Jesus' life over and over again. When he in when he engaged with people, there was an impact that that happened. Uh, as a church, our our goal should be really that we we our goal should be to engage uh, uh, people and then have an impact. Our goal should be to engage in our community and have an impact. Our our goal should be to engage in our world and then have a, an impact. So this morning we're we're going to talk, or, or actually you get a break because I'm not going to talk so much. Uh, uh, I've actually asked my daughter to to be here today and share a little bit of her story. Uh, and in doing so, my, our goal here today is for us to realize that God can use us uh, in so many different ways. So our, our theme for this year is to love God and love others. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at, one of the things that we're going to, throughout the year, be tossing out and throwing out is ways that we can do that, ways that we as a church and we as individual believers uh, can reach out and love not only our uh, uh, God, but, but, but people in the church as well as outside the church and make a, a difference. So I'm going to have Crystal come up. Let me get this out of the way right away. Yes, she's the one I've talked about several times. and uh, She's driving a great big white SUV, so give her plenty of room this morning um, when you leave. They've heard the stories, hon. So, uh, uh, and Mom pointed out to me on the way here uh, the curve on the side of the road where Dad got pulled over recently and got himself a ticket. <laughs> So there's that. Excellent. It goes both ways. It does. It does. I knew I shouldn't have given her a mic. But but anyway, what what I've asked today is Crystal to do a couple things. She's going to share her story, kind of what she's been through, uh, and, and then how God has used that story to make an impact uh, in, in actually uh, several different ways, but we'll talk specifically about that way. So I'm going to take a deep breath and turn the mic over to you. If you'll just share briefly... Uh, uh, and she's a lot like me, so it probably won't be briefly. But uh, just share your story a little bit of how you ended up uh, in our family and how that all happened. Yep. So as you have probably heard, I am adopted, but um, as Dad mentioned, I have a lot of his characteristics. So his genes are just that strong <laughs> that you don't even need the blood relation for that to come through. But exactly. um, So a little bit about me and my story um, However much my dad has or hasn't shared, this is my first time, so thank you guys for letting me be here. But growing up, I was born into a family that was very drug-affected and uh, alcohol-affected and a lot of mental illness, um, treated and untreated, um, a lot of self-treated mental illness. And so I just grew up in an environment where uh, I I wasn't raised so much as a child as I was um, pretty much taking care of myself. 
And so my biological parents were uh, quite abusive um, at times, very erratic. Uh, my biological mother was dealing drugs. So we moved a lot. Actually, quite a few of the towns right around here are towns I've lived in. I've lived in Wathena. I've lived in um, Elwood and St. Joe. And so... Um, so we just moved a lot. It was really chaotic. There was a lot going on. And so at the age of 13, I took a look around my environment. And by now, I had spent some time in some friends' homes and realized that what was going on in my home was nowhere near uh, the same as what was going on in my friends' homes. So uh, I was in a situation where I was... Um, in, in one of the really bad days. And so, um, in an abusive home, the bad days are really bad. And, uh, so I was being beaten pretty terribly on this particular day. And, uh, an aunt had come and picked me up, um, basically so that my mother didn't kill me. And on the way back home, I was being delivered back home. I jumped out of my aunt's moving vehicle and so I jumped out of the vehicle. I ran to the YMCA, actually right here in St. Joe, and ran to the YMCA and um, asked that the police be called. The police were called, and that was the day that I put myself into foster care. So, Well, tell, tell just a little about how that journey went, because uh, it's a system that's meant to obviously protect kids, and, and it, it does, and it kind of worked for you at times and kind of not. So just tell a little bit of that story. Well, I notice a few familiar faces of people that are from our town, um, from DeKalb, Rushville area. So with all due respect, but, um, so going into foster care, I, I went through, my parents were my seventh home, the seventh time I walked up to, um, a new door in two years in my time in foster care. So seven times in two years, I, um, moved to a different home, but, um, so going into foster care, they tried to place me with biological family members. Um, so the first two attempts at that, they were putting me with biological family members who were equally as mentally unstable, equally as drug addicted, equally as abusive, equally as alcoholic um, as the family that I had just came from. My um, And so I... <laughs> I would call my social worker and say, this isn't going to work for me. You need to try again. Um, word of advice, 13-year-old girl, they, it, it doesn't go over so well. They don't really like that. So, um, But I realized that I needed to be a voice for myself because no one else was obviously going to be. So they moved me into a foster home uh, near mom and dad's house, actually, and that foster home was uh, – pretty much just as bad as what I had just came from. Uh, it was a trailer. They had two bedrooms that had bunk beds in them. They collected foster children so that they could collect the checks from the state. And so um, they definitely did not care for us. Uh, we were we worked for them. So we went to school in the morning smelling like bleach from bleaching their walls. And then we would come home and not only pull the weeds in their yard, but also go across the street to like one of the star basketball players of our school, go over and pull the weeds in his yard too, because that's not humiliating. <laughs> so it was um, pretty awful. But uh, again, I called the social worker and said, 
not this one. We're going to have to try again. She really liked me by this point, I think. We were really making a connection. And uh, so I went through, you know, a few transitional homes and um, and then found a really great foster home in our area. So I had a really, really great one, but at this time, both of my biological parents were still living and still actively uh, tormenting uh, tormenting myself, but also tormenting that foster family. And so, um, through a series of events, I, do you want me to yeah, go tell about the, the day you came home? Okay. <laughs> came home, uh, through a series of events, apparently unbeknownst to me, um, all of this stuff was kind of going on and, and, uh, the foster family I was with, they were going through some family crises of their own. And so I came home from school and all of my belongings were boxed up right by the door, boxed and bagged up. And um, it was completely unexpected. I really thought that, I, I really thought I was doing good here. I thought that, uh, I thought that they really cared about me and um, that things were okay. So it was shocking walking in and finding my belongings boxed up and my social worker was there and the foster mother was quite upset. And when, um, for, uh, for clarification, when, Tell them when it was. I mean, it was right, it was in December. Oh, it was Christmas. So, um, so just right before that, this foster family had purchased me Christmas presents that were under the tree and now they were sitting in a box by her door. So, um, yeah, so it, it's Christmas and I am realizing that I'm now homeless again, which is fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, so, I didn't understand everything that was going on, but I knew that I wasn't staying there. I knew I was being moved. And at the time, I had built connections um, and relationships in the town and, and friends. And so I begged and begged a, a very good family friend of my parents. Um, I had begged, can I just go to their house and say goodbye? And uh, so my social worker obliged and let me swing. Their house was on the way out of town. Let me swing by their house to say goodbye. Now, unbeknownst to me... Um, this woman and my mom were very good friends, and so as all of this was going on, this woman had called, um, she and Rita had been talking, and she said, oh, Crystal, you know, they're moving her again, so, and I don't know that whole conversation, but, so Rita became aware, and I'm at this house saying goodbye, and we're walking out. Now, my version of this story coming from the the, the teenager going through it, and mom's version of this story not ever wanting to be seen as anyone spectacular and not ever wanting to be seen as my hero. Her story's a little bit different, but um, we were walking out of the house, and <laughs> don't you start. You're supposed no, to be the... I'm the rock. <laughs> I don't have to talk, though. <laughs> yeah. I do this a lot better, like at home when mom and dad aren't there. Um, so we're walking out of the house, and I'm being moved to a different town, Um we're walking out of the house, and this white van comes. Now, I say whips in the driveway. She says she was just driving normally. But uh, whips in the driveway, and um, a woman jumps out and says, we'll take her. And my social worker turned to me and said, do you know her? <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's Rita Champ. I'm friends with her sons. I, I, I know those Champ boys, and her husband's the pastor of the local church. Like, yes, I know her. And... Uh, that actually didn't change anything for that day. For that day, I still had to get in my social worker's car, and I still had to um, go to that next, that foster home number six. Um, but while I went to foster home number six, 
Well, first of all, Rita went home and told her husband what she did because he was unawares of the entire situation. No, so no, let, let me clarify. She called me because <laughs> we were at two different basketball games, and I need to tell you something when you get home. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let him share more no, about his no. emotions going on <laughs> at that time. Um, and they had three teenage sons at home, so, you know, a teenage girl coming into the home seems like a good fit. But, um, so I moved on to foster home number six. And during that time, my mom and dad became active in figuring out what do we need to do to get Crystal into our home. And, uh, and a week later I walked up to that door, their back door with a, a sign on the back door that didn't just say, welcome to our home, Crystal. The sign said, welcome to our family. Uh, and if you want to ask Crystal any questions uh, when we're done, you're, you know, she'll be glad to talk to you, I'm sure. The, and, and so your story changed there. I, I'd love to say everything was perfect. Uh, we didn't have any issues. You but, caught the teenage girl yeah. element to yeah. that? Yeah. So, uh, uh, but it was, it was, uh, there was challenges, certainly, but, but God, uh, um, God placed it on our hearts. In fact, we told Crystal, um, that Christmas gave her a little jewelry box that, that had Joshua 1-5. I preached on that, um, I think the first Sunday I preached here, I'll, uh, where, where, uh, where he says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you, I'll never leave you and forsake you. So that's, that's the promise that we made to her, because we knew her story, we knew all the heartache, and we knew, and no matter what happens, we're gonna be here for you, and, and, and so we did. So, uh, so God worked through that. Uh, there were ups and downs, there were struggles, um, uh, but but the Lord blessed that. So so next, next thing I want you to talk just a little bit about is is how that then impacted your story moving forward. She met uh, a wonderful man at, at college and and uh, and got married and started her own family. Her, her two little ones were up here and headed downstairs for junior church. Uh, but kind of in the back of your mind, there you, you had something a dream uh, moving forward. So tell them about that. Well, first of all, being raised the way I was raised, uh, I immediately felt like I maybe wasn't cut out to have biological children. Um, I didn't know. God had protected me through that situation, but genetically, I, I came from this genetic cesspool. So in my mind, I'm thinking um, that might not be the best route for me, but my heart um, and, and this is over the course of many, many years, but my heart um, just ached for the foster child and um, the lonely, the, the, the fatherless child, the homeless child, the child that would go through um, seven foster homes and or more and possibly never know the love of a family because I was blessed to be able to know the love of a family and know how that drastically changed. There was a trajectory. There was a trajectory for my life. But when um, when a family and the love and support of a family comes into play, that destiny changes. That's an instant change in trajectory and change in where you're going. And so I knew in my heart... I want to do this. I want to engage in foster care. I don't know what that looks like, what my engagement is. So for um, for a few years, I would do a little bit of speaking and a little bit of um, 
interestingly enough, I would do some foster care recruiting. So I would recruit foster parents while my husband and I were not foster parents. Now, I think to understand the full picture, you have to understand Nick. Nick is my um, husband. He's an amazing man. But uh, Nick had grown up, if there was ever an exact opposite of how I grew up, Nick is is that counter, you know, that counter to my past. Nick grew up in a perfect home. He grew up in a white picket fence. He uh, he wanted for nothing. He never knew a struggle. Um, he's annoyingly successful in absolutely everything he does. Um, I, I love him dearly, but honestly, there there's nothing that Nick tries that he doesn't succeed at, usually the first time. Um, he's just, he, he doesn't know what it's like to hurt or to struggle. And so for my husband, he's looking at these things that I'm saying, you know, let's bring in a child who has this, um, really messy past and let's bring this into our home and welcome it into our lives and into our family. And here's Nick saying, we're really sitting pretty right now. Like, We've got a son, we've got a daughter, we've got a nice house, I've got a great job, like life is really good and I'm really comfortable, so let's not. Um, but if you want to go, you know, do a little bit of stuff, I support you 100%. You go do your thing. And so so all of this time I'm kind of secretly praying to myself, Lord, if you have placed this so heavily on my heart, why are you not placing this on his heart? And how can we be so far off? Because I can't move forward with this. Mom and I would have many a conversations. I'm not going to move forward with this without him. I will. I would never do that. He's the leader of our home. This needs to be his decision. And uh, so during this time, I'm actually doing some mentoring. Um, I had been connected with a girl who uh, was in a homeless women's shelter with her young son at the time. He was eight weeks old. And she had aged out of foster care. She had went through the foster care system. Um, and I think you guys need to understand this. But this is one thing I want you to take away. Not even just my story. I want you to remember her story. Um, she went into foster care when she was three years old. Three years old. And she aged out of the system at 21. And nowhere in that entire time did she find the permanent love of a family. So um, she was perpetually homeless, perpetually moving from foster home to foster home, it, enduring quite a, quite a bit of abuse within her foster homes as well as um, her biological family. So, um, so I got connected to do some mentoring with this girl. And uh, she, she, she was a mess, you know. She, um, she wasn't afforded the same... Um, blessings and the same grace that I was afforded. And so that relationship kind of started to dwindle. But what was happening at home is Nick's heart was starting to change. So the first thing was a Christian music conference. And I said, well, your favorite singers are going to be there for King and Country and Plum, and you're going to love it. And he's like, but it's about adoption. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, that's a side note. The music, though, is great. And Nick said, uh, so are they going to have, like, pens set up? And then when we get there, we have to, like, pick one? And then you <laughs> take the child. Because this is legitimately what my husband is envisioning. Um, 
for an adoption conference. And I said, no, you know, not at all. It'll just be powerful and informative and it'll be great. And just go for the music. It's fine. And so through this process, Nick's heart kind of started to change. And on the drive home from that conference, I said to Nick, and I meant it. I said to Nick, I'm not going to say another word to you about foster care or about adoption. But if you ever decide that it's something you want to do, I want you to honestly pray about it. And if you ever decide it's something that you think we could do, then you tell me. But I'm never going to say another thing. And so that was really nerve-wracking because I'm calling mom and dad, and I'm like, he hasn't said anything. It's been like a week. It's been like a week and a half. He hasn't said anything. So he never, he just didn't say anything. And so then my fear is, oh, gosh, his mind is like, yes, she's finally going to leave me alone about it. And uh, and it, I think it was about two, two and a half weeks later, Nick called me from work, and this is legitimately the conversation. And someday you'll meet my husband and realize this is just, he's, this is how he is. Nick calls me from work and he says, fill out the paperwork. And I said, I think I know what paperwork you're talking about. And if we hang up this phone, I'm filling out the paperwork. And he said, I wouldn't have called you if I didn't want you to. Don't talk about it anymore. I'm taking it one step at a time. (laughs) So... So that started our um, process into filling out the paperwork, aside from uh, that mentoring I was doing. Okay. So then go ahead and tell how those two stories came together with Caden. So we get licensed for foster care. Um, it's a long process. I'm not going to lie to you, but, oh, man, it's so worth it. So we get licensed license for foster care. Um we kind of experienced our first uh, dipping our toes, had a couple girls, and um, they ended up going on and being adopted by another family. And uh, our only thing we had written in our file, the only thing that we wrote in there was no infants, no babies, no diapers. Anything else we were completely open to, but no infants, no babies, no diapers. So we get a call, and it's for a baby, a little baby boy. And um, they're telling me his story. How old was he at the time? So at the time, this little boy was nine months old. And uh, they're telling me his story. And uh, through the process of them telling me his story, I said, yep. And his mother's name is, and his name is, because the call that we were receiving to care for this little boy was the son of that woman that I had mentored in the homeless women's shelter. And so that eight-week little boy that I had put my hand on his little head when he was newborn and just teeny tiny, I was getting a call asking if he could move into our home. And so we um, said yes because you don't look at a situation like that and think God's not involved. (laughs) So we said yes, and we brought that little boy into our home. And um, when he showed up, he was... Uh, he was super, super, super skinny. He, uh, refused to be held. You could not hold him. Um, he's still kind of, he wants <laughs> well, to now run, he's so. squirmy, but he's, he, he knows how to love now. Um, so there were a lot of challenges right there in the beginning with this little boy who, uh, didn't know what affection really looked like. Um, but he came into our home and through, um, a year long process of, um, parenting him, attempting to parent his biological mother along the way as well. Um, she eventually relinquished 
um, the right to be his parent over to us, and we have now adopted him, and that little boy's name is Caden. He's now two years old. He's downstairs. He's crazy, but um, he keeps me on my toes, so. Well, and 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 the reason I had Crystal come today um, for a couple things, so now when I talk about it, you'll have a face and a story behind. You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense now. No, that, and, and her story is cool. I, I mean, and we you know, we've seen God, uh, God's hand in the story uh, all the way along. Uh, when Crystal was moved from one family to another uh, in foster care, she ended up one Sunday, I think it was Easter, at our church. And Rita and I had made the, co- the, the comment at the time then that, boy, we, you know, we might be interested, but there's no way the state would put a teenage girl in a home with three teenage boys. Uh, but the state, when they're, when they're hurting for foster care, they'll, they'll do about anything. Um, and so at least we, we knew of her and, and we had, and really that's our only conversation. We had taken nothing any further than that, uh, in, until Rita got the call from, uh, from a friend that, that they were moving Crystal again and, and the Lord placed that on, on her heart to, to, to make the offer. Um, so, so we, we see God's hand in, in her story. We certainly, she sees God's hand in the story with, with Caden, how that worked out that, that she ended up, um, he ended up being the one that they invited into their home and then uh, was made available for adoption, and they, they've asked him to be a part of their family. Um, but I want to inspire you to think two ways. Number one, hopefully one of the things you take from the story is that there's a great need. There, there's a need for people that are willing to, um, uh, to be foster parents. Now, I don't know if that's anyone here, um, but the need is great. And I know... The need in Donovan County is 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 large. People, uh, the, the people in the social services department need people that are willing uh, to take kids into their homes and and to love them. And and you don't have to adopt every kid that you would take into your home, but there is a need there. And so my my prayer uh, for for the, today is that maybe that that God places that uh, on your heart. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to another group that does uh, that works with kids in need. And and so Lord, I I just pray that the Lord maybe opens up the heart of someone here today. Uh, but there also is a, a, another thing. God turned that experience into a, uh, into a ministry. So God took a, a little girl that didn't feel loved and didn't trust and felt like she really wasn't worth anything. That's who we received into our home several years ago uh, and has put her in charge of a, a ministry that's growing. So tell them a little bit about uh, Caden's Closet. So... I remembered, you know, this this entire time all of these things are happening and and this there's this thing that sticks with you when you're a foster child, especially when you're a teenage girl, but I think every foster child. When you're a foster child, when you jump out of a moving vehicle or when you are seized from your family by the police or when there's a raid on your home and and you get taken out, you're leaving with the clothes on your back. And a lot of times people don't realize that foster children are often going into that first foster home with nothing. So um, so I remember what that was like, jumping out of that car with the clothes on my back. Then I'm placed with family members, my biological family members, who, who in their midst of trying to help me, they didn't have a lot of resources themselves to, to care for themselves or their own families. So there wasn't a lot left over. They, they tried to get me some of the things that I needed, um, 
but those uh, necessities were a little bit scarce. And so then going through foster homes, when it's time to bag up your stuff, you don't have much stuff anyways, but usually your social worker is going to bring with her a black garbage sack, and she's going to hand you that sack. You're going to put everything you own, which is maybe a half a bag, (laughs) into that sack, and then you're going to be moved from home to home with a garbage sack. And and I can tell you from experience, um, going through my first five foster homes with a black garbage sack, that really begins to um, tell you where your worth lies. So as a teenage girl, I'm here believing that I'm garbage. I'm no better than garbage. I'm being thrown a garbage sack all the time, and that's, that's what I'm worth. Um, thankfully... Uh, foster home number five um, was a really great foster home, and they really took the time to invest in me. They, you know, got me a lot of items, like a dresser. You you can't imagine how much dignity something as simple as a dresser restores. Um, and then moving into mom and dad's house, one of the very first things that they did um, was they took me shopping. And I got to pick out a bed, which was super awesome, but I also um, got to pick out a luggage set. And I remember at the time even saying, I think I even said to them, I don't, what do I need a whole luggage set for? That's kind of silly. And um, I don't remember if it was dad or mom, but one of them said to me, because you're never going to carry a garbage sack again. And so that luggage. That might have been a mixed message. We gave you luggage, so when you move, it's so you know, when you can... get out of here, <laughs> we're trying to. Well, I took it a different way. <laughs> good, good. So, so that was a really profound and powerful moment for me. And actually that luggage set is still, uh, the luggage set I use to this day. I probably will use it until, uh, there's nothing left. But, um, then when we got Caden, Caden had come from the, uh, from, from this women's shelter. And this women's shelter had some resources. So they set the moms up with some resources, you know. So when Caden came to us, he actually had clothing. He had quite a few boxes of clothing and um, some blankets. But he came to us nine months old, and he had never slept in a crib. Not one time had he ever slept in a crib. He was used to being locked in a uh, car seat. So he would be snapped into a car seat, and then he would be left alone in his apartment overnight while mom went out. Um, so so we're getting this baby. And if you remember our file, no infants, no babies, no diapers. So I had no crib, no monitor, no high chair, no diapers um, in my home to prepare for him. So Nick and I, my husband, we realized like, oh my gosh, we need all of this stuff. So I quick made a list. And thankfully, I have a lot of friends so I put that list out there, and our friends were just bringing us items left and right. But it got my mind ticking, and I'm sitting here thinking about, what about all the families that don't have my friend circle? What are they doing when they're getting call after call and child after child placed in their home, and they don't have access to any of these resources that I have? And so because of that, uh, God really just placed on my heart there needs to be a community resource, a community closet that's filled with the cribs, the high chairs, the bedding, the suitcases, the backpacks, packages of socks, packages of underwear, the toiletries. These kids need to have these items. That It's not about um, what you do and don't have. It's about dignity. 
and you don't know what it's like to not have underwear until you don't have underwear. And um, children need that those basics and those necessities. So, so through this, Caden's Closet was born. And we opened our very first Cadence Closet out of our church, my husband and I's church. And uh, in the first month, we served about 60 children. So our church, I think I need to establish, I live in Iowa. So um, Field of Dreams is fairly accurately representative of where I live. Um, so our church is literally surrounded by cornfields on all four sides. There's a highway but all four sides cornfields. So if this church in the middle of a cornfield is serving 60 kids in the first month and people are driving two hours to come here to get these items, I'm not thinking big enough. And so God put that really on my heart and said, I'm thinking bigger. You're not thinking big enough. You need to catch up. And so um, from March... Uh, until present to present day, we now have 13 cadence closets across the state of Iowa. Um, we also have a traveling closet, cadence traveling closet that is an enclosed trailer we can take absolutely anywhere to serve any community, um, or any child in need. And we are looking at launching, um, nationally this year. And I would love for our very first out-of-state cadence closet to be planted maybe right here in Troy, Kansas. What do you guys think about that? We just need to find someone who's willing to head that up. Well, uh, just quickly, because we're, we're running out of time uh, uh, very quickly. I don't know here. why. I'm not uh, a talker. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just tell them what a closet looks like, how that uh, uh, if if someone wanted to start one, just how, how that would be done. So the mindset behind Caden's Closet is actually very, very simple. The first thing we do is we find – I'm cutting out. I'm really loud, so it will be fine. You can hear me. Um, we find a church that's willing to donate a space. That space can be a simple Sunday school room or it can be a gymnasium. It doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. We find a church willing to donate a space. Once the church donates a space, we solicit from not only the congregation, but also from the community, um, we solicit donations of new or gently used items. Um, and when we think gently used, I see some of you out here with your babies, and I saw some of you come in with your children that then went downstairs. What do you have sitting in your basement right now? You have that high chair that you're done with, but you just don't know if you're ready to part with. You have boxes and boxes, if you're like me, of last summer's clothing that are never going to fit again, but they're in really great condition, so you don't know if you want to part with them. So we all have these items that can be utilized by someone else in our community, by a child that really needs them, so we can feel good about where we're donating to. Um, so we fill that room with all of these donations, donations of clothing, donations of gently used furniture, donations of bedding. So we fill this closet, shoes, coats, outerwear, everything. And then we invite foster families, adoptive families, and children in need to come into our closet and shop that closet for free. So every child that enters foster care we want to work with the DHS, I don't know what they call it here, family services. 
we, we want to work with those workers to get that child set up with an entire wardrobe, shoes, backpacks, everything they could possibly need for free. All this means is we need one person to kind of facilitate that, to help get the closet set up, to help organize a little bit of volunteer traffic, to make sure it's organized, and then to meet these kids. And I tell you what, you want to hear some really awesome stories? I've got a whole bunch of them because I get to meet these kids every single day. And uh, they're pretty amazing. They're, uh, you don't forget them once you meet them. And maybe you're not called to do foster care. Maybe you're called to um, help in another way. And maybe Caden's Closet is that way. Thank you, Crystal. Appreciate it. I, I told Crystal, I, I don't know if a Caden's Closet would work here. Don't uh, don't know if anyone has that uh, has that thought. Uh, one of my goals is just to start throwing stuff out there, give us opportunities, and maybe maybe I'll be on someone's heart to say, you know, I can do that. Uh, I, I can donate a little bit of time, and it's not something that's open twenty four seven. Literally, I think her closet is by uh, by appointment only. You, you call a number, they set it up, you, you meet them there and do that shopping. So, But if you're interested in that, if you have questions, you certainly can talk to her today, you can talk to me, um, and we, we would love to do that. Jesus, Jesus, and we're going to see that over the next, next several weeks as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, uh, wherever he went, uh, he impacted people. Wherever he went, lives were changed because they came in contact with him uh, his love and his purpose for their lives. God has a purpose for you. Uh, God has called you to something, called you to give uh, in in certain ways. Uh, be in prayer that God opens your heart to what He's called you to do. Let's uh, let's conclude with prayer. Then we'll have our invitation. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to be in your house to hear this this amazing story. Father, you, what? What could have been a, a, a tragic end uh, has been such a blessing. Uh, Father, you had a, a plan for Crystal's life. Um, and, and Father, you opened doors for her, and now uh, you, you've changed her heart, and she's opening doors for other people. Father, we thank you that, that you use us, uh, even when we're broken. Father, even when we have messed up past, even when we're not perfect, you still use us to do great things. Father, bless us. Open our eyes and our hearts to the things you want us to do, the ways you want us to engage and then impact. In Jesus' name.